You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're back. We're better than ever. Welcome to your Monday. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. Man, what a weekend it was in the world of sports. The U.S. Open was about as dramatic as it could be without going into a playoff. You had the College World Series. You had the Houston Astros, the Stanley Cup Final. Whole lot to get into, whole lot to dissect today. Let's bring in the producer extraordinaire and the co host with the most. Mr. James Yami's Mesh. James, what's going on, bud? Not too much. How you doing, Matt? Um, I'm all right, man. I'm good. It's a Monday. There it is. We're back to the grind. Exactly. And it was a long weekend. It really was. It really was. It really was. But hey, that's what that's what the week's for, right? Exactly. To to, to get away from long weekends. So let's start with some top stories. You know, looking at the U.S. Open, Matt Fitzpatrick winning the U.S. Open yesterday on a missed birdie opportunity from Will Zalatoris. Now, this is interesting because Matt Fitzpatrick has won a tournament at Brookline before, having won the U.S. Amateur Tournament there a few years ago. But here's the interesting thing. Looking at Zalatoris, this is now the third time that he has finished second in a major. When is the man going to lift a trophy? Like, how are you? how are you going to be so good to where you're constantly hanging around and you just can't get it done. He hasn't figured it out all the way. And I mean that putt, man, he he missed it by literal inches. Like it it skirted across the outside edge of the of the cup. Like he just missed it. And and you you could tell because man, he really thought it was in. Because when it when it went out, he threw his putter and was like, "Oh my god." Like, he really thought it was in. Um, but I will say this. He's definitely, Will Zalatoris is definitely a world-class individual. I read a tweet that as he was walking off the golf course, he went shake Matt Fitzpatrick's dad's hand and said, if I had to lose to anybody, I'm glad it was your son. So that's a class move right there. So that's that's pretty cool to hear. You you love to hear that there are still guys like that in the world of sports. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick walked away with a crisp three point one million dollars. Easy pocket change. <laughs> that's, that's that's casual. That's a regular Will, weekend. Will Zalatoris, we're, we're sorry you didn't get like the the big trophy, but we hope that this check of one point six million dollars will will make it a little bit better for you. Uh, Scotty Scheffler also finishing tied for second. So he also got $1.6 million. You know, this this is this is what I, I, I want to discuss. So 
Let's look at the leaderboard. Let's look at Grayson Murray, which this guy, wow. Grayson Murray finished 10 over yesterday. And in the process, threw a putter into the rough after he missed a putt. And then when he didn't like his approach shot with his iron, he snapped his iron over his leg. Like, what a day, right? 10 over, finished 18 over for the tournament, was 6 over on Saturday. So that's how he went into the weekend 1 under and finished 18 over. So, you know, take that for what you will. He still walked out with $37,000. Golf's such a great game, man. I feel like I should have just played golf instead of playing contact sports. You could have one of the <laughs> worst weekends of your life. But as long as you make it to Sunday, thir- I mean, thirty seven. You, you get solid paychecks. $37,000. I could go buy a car for $37,000. I would clear up. And, and, that's, and that's a pretty good quality car, too. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. And... Okay, so so say say I went and bought a truck because I mean I want a truck. Say I put all thirty six thousand down. I only owe fourteen thousand for the next six years. What's my car note? One hundred dollars a month on a truck. That's easy. That's easy. So yeah, I mean thirty for 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 one weekend, thirty seven thousand dollars. One weekend gets me a new truck. Oh my God! That, that that's like that's like Bryson DeChambeau. So you know, I, I spent a lot of last week ripping the Live Tour, and I, I still don't like it. However, from a financial standpoint, I totally understand it. Bryson DeChambeau got paid 110 million dollars just to go join the Live Tour. Now he's going to play eight tournaments a year for the Live Tour, make ridiculous payouts. Last place gets 120 grand every week. And then, as it stands right now, he can still come play in the four majors. Like yesterday, he made $38,000. I mean, that's easy. Work three months out of the year and make $120 million? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of training and stuff that goes involved. I'm not, I'm not saying that golf or any sport is just a you-show-up-and-play kind of thing, but like... If somebody wanted to pay me $120 million and said, hey, all you have to do is stay in shape and play golf. Okay. (laughs) I think I could do that. It's called personal chef, personal trainer. Right? And a wife to keep me motivated. (laughs) Right? (laughs) A a golf wife to keep me motivated. Absolutely. What what more? What what more? Uh, It's crazy. Golf is such a great game. Absolutely love it. Anyways, other top stories to look at. There was a protective order filed against Rajan Rondo that has been dismissed. The protective order was filed on May 13th. Apparently, the parties reached an outside settlement. According to the protective order, the woman alleged that Rondo threatened her with a gun and said that she feared for the safety of her children. However, like I said, the protective order has been dismissed. And there's some other top stories to get to. But as always, the hotline, 
wide open when there's not a guest. 706-0111. Let's get to the hotline. Ralph joins the show. What's going on, Ralph? Hey, man. How's, how's it going, Matt? Uh, congratulations once again on your pick of Will, Will uh, Zalatoris. Uh, i tell you what, after he um, birdied 17 and hit that, uh, well, you know, uh, obviously Fitzpatrick had a fantastic bunker shot uh, to 18 to get where he was at. But, uh, man, I, I thought for sure he was going to make that putt. Uh, Zalatoris had forced a playoff, uh, but just missed it. But that was a, a great pick from, from you uh, last, uh, I think it was Wednesday we talked, and um, uh, he almost got it done. And, boy, I just hope he doesn't become a bridesmaid too often. I think he's on the on the verge of breaking through. But, um, but man, uh, a gutty performance, great great finishes, and, and kind of lost in the shuffle is, is Scotty Scheffler once again right there at the top, you know. This guy flies under the radar more than any other number one player in the world I've ever seen in my he, life. He really does. You know? I mean, it's incredible, man. Um, but, uh, but no, it, it, when you, I heard you talk about Grayson Murray, and uh, I'm not sure if you, you know, how close you follow the game as far as, uh, you know, the whole thing. But um, him and Kevin Na have had a, a Twitter feud going on for, for months now, and Grayson Murray, you know, Look, we all have our problems, but his are well documented. He's uh, been in and out of rehab a, a few times with alcohol problems, and uh, I, I'm not sure if that's a, contributing to some of the things that he tweets out and whatnot. But but um, they, they've kind of kind of got on the nasty end lately, and and uh, it's a shame to see him kind of have that meltdown, you know, at the U.S. Open because uh, I thought it was a great. I thought the USGA did a great job in setting up the golf course. Uh, I thought it was, it was fair. Um, you know, they had some, look, they had some tough holes, but everybody played the same golf course. And, and I'm going to tell you what, if, if the, if the rain tend come Saturday night and they wasn't expecting those rains, um, that, that winning score would not have been six under. It would have been more like one or two under because, right. uh, Saturday you kind of could start seeing a little bit of the carnage, with them not being able to hold the greens, but anyway, uh, it was a great, uh, great way to spend Father's Day. Got to got to spend it watching it with my my son and, and grandson, and you know those memories uh, never go away. But I, I will say just one thing: I disagree with you, uh, Matt. You do not have to get in shape to play golf. Okay, <laughs> uh, Craig, Craig Sadler is a multi-major winner. Okay, <laughs> just you know. Don't worry about the shape part, okay? Just right. get you a good caddy and just work on your swing. Don't don't worry about the conditioning. No, no doubt about it. Appreciate you, Ralph. All right, man. So he he was right on the money about the U.S. Open. It was a great tournament. The course was was very fair, um, and, and the rains Saturday night, like he said, definitely, you know, sped the course up a little bit and played into the golfer's favor. But man, I. He he brought up that bunker shot that Fitzpatrick hit on eighteen. I remember he when he hit his drive into the bunker. The commentators were like, "Oh, what a costly mistake by Fitzpatrick!" Was it? Was it costly? Because he put it on the green from the bunker. I don't know how. I don't know how costly it was. It, it worked out for him, that's for sure, and it made him three million dollars richer. God, what a what a game! What a sport that he gets to play, right? Anyways, we've got a lot to get into. Got a three-guest show today. 
at 4.30. Josh Helmer, the co-host of Locked on Oklahoma, will join us to preview the Oklahoma-Notre Dame baseball game or recap the Notre Dame-Oklahoma baseball game and preview their next matchup here in the coming days. Also at 5, Rachel Toss. She is a arena reporter for the Colorado Avalanche. She will join us to discuss the Stanley Cup Finals. God, 7 nothing Saturday night. That's ridiculous. We'll talk about that. And then at 5.30, Travis Brown, a Texas A&M reporter, will join us to talk about the Aggies and their run in Omaha. Poll question of the day. Let's go ahead and get to it. Which position group for the New Orleans Saints do you think is the strongest? Is it wide receivers? Is it defensive backs? Is it defensive line? Or is it other? So far on Twitter, 56% say defensive backs. 31% say wide receiver. 13% say the defensive line. Keep those comments coming, Facebook and Twitter, and we will check on that throughout the show. As a reminder, it's the game's birthday, and that is this. that means that this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador this Wednesday night in 48 hours. There will be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, including... Station swag, Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV donated by AVI, car washes from The Wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, a round of golf with a cart at Cane Row Golf Course, a $150 gift card to Mosley and Hollard, and much more. In addition, Crunch Time with me, Gaz, and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. That's right, me and James, live and in living color, so if you want to come hang out, Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Wednesday from 4 to 9 for the game's 10th birthday bash. We'll take a time out right here on the game. And when we return, we'll talk the College World Series, the U.S. Open, and we'll quickly dive into that 7 nothing beatdown in Denver Saturday night. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Let's recap the College World Series up to this point. The World Series started Friday with a 13-8 victory, Oklahoma over Texas A&M, and that was followed up the nightcap. Notre Dame taking down Texas 7-3. Saturday, first games for these four teams. Arkansas laid the wood on Stanford, 17-2. And then Ole Miss taking down Auburn, 5-1. And then yesterday on Father's Day, a couple elimination games. Well, one elimination game and then one winner's bracket game. 
A&M eliminating the Longhorns 10-2. to Funny story about that. I saw a picture on Twitter today. Somebody was walking through the gift shop at Charles Schwab Field in Omaha. All the Texas gear was 50% off. It said eliminated teams 50% off. Savage. <laughs> the guy, the That's guy, absolutely savage. The guy said, come on, man. The body isn't even cold yet. <laughs> <laughs> So fresh. <laughs> and then in the nightcap last night, Notre, Notre Dame falling to Oklahoma 6-2. to two. Today, currently in the top of the ninth, Auburn leads Stanford 6-2 to two in an elimination game, which means Stanford doors closing on their 2022 season. And then tonight at 6, Ole Miss and Arkansas. Tomorrow, the only game scheduled so far is a and and Notre Dame. James, you know, looking at this field, you really Oklahoma, AM, Arkansas, maybe Ole Miss. Out of those four, who would you like to see win a national championship? I know this sounds weird because usually if you like an SET team, you kind of hope for any one of them to win. Right. But I'm actually more of the salty type. If if they if if LSU loses, then I don't want any SEC team to win. Okay. So I'm kind of, I'm leaning more towards Oklahoma. Yeah. Boomer Sooner. Yeah. I'm cool with it. I am okay with it. I like Oklahoma. They got a they got a young man by the name of Jackson Nicholas, who is um, phenomenal, and he's had a great start to his run in Omaha thus far. We'll keep you updated throughout the week on the College World Series. And, of course, next segment, Josh Helmer from the Locked On Oklahoma podcast will join us. And then at 5.30, Travis Brown, who is an A&M reporter, will join us to discuss their game tomorrow. Now, going back and checking on some more top stories, the Magic say that they're still evaluating all options with the number one pick in Thursday's NFL draft, NH, NBA. Wow, get the league right, Matthew. The NBA draft Thursday night. The top candidates: Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Banchero. James, you're a basketball mind. If you've got the number one overall pick, and you have your choice between those three guys, who are you picking? I'm I'm probably gonna go just best available, which if if you're first, you got all of them available. I then at that point you would have to look at more of the the team what, need. What's, what's the team right. need? What what's the situation looking like? Orlando kind of needs everything. I'm leaning away from Chet. Not gonna touch him. I'm looking more towards Paulo Benchero or uh, Jabari Smith. Yeah. More more likely maybe Jabari. See, I'm picking Banchero. You're picking Banchero? I love his game. Which, which funny enough, about Banchero, I saw a report that says the Rockets are quote unquote zeroing in on him. Yeah, I I love his game. And most of the time I don't like cockiness or, you know, arrogance that can be taken for cockiness. 
There was an article the other day. It says former Duke player Paolo Banchero says he's the best player in the NBA draft. Dude, if, if you've got the mentality that you think you're the best player available, I love that. Don't take it over the top. But if you want to say in an like, interview... Like, like another player that's coming up. Who, who are you getting at? Uh, Chase Claypool. Oh. Oh. Chase Claypool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that you up. You want to talk about that now? We can. Okay. So, James, you found an article about Chase Claypool, and this might be one of the hottest takes that we, we have seen in a long time. Hey, look, like you said about Ben Chero, love if my player is confident. And I, and I like the confidence that Claypool displayed. But, man, there, there's a limit. And, and the man said recently in an interview, I'm a top three wide receiver in the NFL. <laughs> um, look, that, that's nice and all, but I can name about 10 off top that I would consider better than you. And in my eyes, you're not even the best receiver on your team. I, I consider Deontay Johnson a better receiver than Chase Claypool. Here's his quote. Just like you said, understanding I'm not normal. I feel that way when I'm on the field. I know for a fact I'm not like the rest of the guys in the NFL. I know I'm a top five receiver. Hell, I know I'm a top three receiver. When I'm working, I'm a dog. I'm going to dog people that are lining up across from me, and I have to bring that confidence and that spirit and show people, and I'm going to make it happen. You're also going to showboat on a first down when you got when your team's got 12 seconds left on the clock and you're down eight <laughs> with zero timeouts? And we're going to rewind this, and we're going to see this clip in a couple years, and they're going to be like, damn, he was right. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe down the line, but right now, no. Devontae Top- Adams... Stephon Diggs. Is he a good receiver? Absolutely. Oh, yes. He's a he's definitely a good I would, receiver. I would almost say that he's a great receiver. Top three in the league? Top three in your division? Maybe. That we could discuss. You gotta you gotta compete with Jamar Chase. You gotta compete with Amari Cooper. Uh, agreed with you. However, that's a more arguable discussion than top three in the league. If, yeah, if you want to argue Chase Claypool and Jamar Chase, that that one's that one's a lot closer. Top but, three receiver but, in the league: Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Stephon Diggs, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, AJ Brown, AJ. Like I can go on, and none of these names are Chase Claypool, Amari Cooper, Tyreek Hill. I already said Tyreek Hill. That's I would eight. I would I would cons- Ooh, that's it's, bo- it's borderline with Keenan Allen. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say top 10. Close. Don't know if I'd say top 10. Would you still consider I'd still say D-Hop. Even even talent-wise, yes. And, and you know what's funny? We haven't even touched on the best one. Cooper Cup. Oh god. We didn't even touch Cooper Cup yet. Oh god. I'd consider DK, Adam Thielen. DK Justin Me- Jefferson. DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf. See, see, see what we're getting at? He's not a top three receiver in the NFL. No shot. Good receiver. Terry McLaurin. A good receiver. Top three. Um, hey, uh, old takes exposed. Y'all might want to come get this one. 
because that that one's you're gonna have to break that out in February when he's only got 700 yards and you know five touchdowns. Now, now his case definitely won't help because he probably will have Kenny Pickett. Yeah, I was about to say who's gonna be his, who's gonna be his quarterback. They don't even know. It's him or Trubisky. Which look, Trubisky, he overperformed with the Matt Nagy offense. It, look, looking at hindsight, he did. He took him. He took him to the playoffs. Oh, he did. You're you're not wrong. However, uh, that that's that's going to be interesting to see. Because I like Kenny Pickett. I think Kenny Pickett has a lot of upside to have a good career in the NFL. Do the pay, do the Steelers think the same and start him right away? That's what that's what you're gonna have to find out. That, that's what you're gonna have to look at. Um Rescue Fest is this Saturday, June 25th, over at Park International. It is a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo Band, Jet 7, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. Plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana, a group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. To buy tickets, head to Eventbrite or by visiting rescuegroup.org, R-E-S-C, Y-O-U group.org. Second time out right here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. And when we return, Josh Helmer of the Locked On Oklahoma podcast will join us to talk about the Sooners and their magical run into Omaha. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 35 minutes after 4 o'clock here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, been an entertaining start to the College World Series in Omaha, and one of the big teams behind that has been Boomer Sooner. Let's dive into the Sooners and their roster and their run to Omaha with Josh Helmer from the Locked On Oklahoma podcast. Josh, good afternoon, man. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? What's going on? Thanks for having me. So, you know, let's start with the the game the other day against Notre Dame, the 6-2 win yesterday. Notre Dame kind of been a big storyline ever ever since they took down Tennessee. You know, walk me walk me through that game and how the Sooners were able to overcome the Irish. Yeah, obviously you mentioned it. Notre Dame up until meeting Oklahoma, you could argue was the story of this 2022 men's tournament, knocking out the top-seeded volunteers. Uh, Obviously for OU, they just got a phenomenal start from Kate Horton, who has has been great for Oklahoma. You know, he's 3-0 now this postseason with a 2.66 ERA. That includes the Big 12 tournament. And last night he was dominant. Six innings pitched. He did give up the five hits, had the one walk, but he struck out 11, seemed to have the Irish – uh, on their heels all night long, and 
he's somebody for OU that, okay, this is what you thought you signed with Cade Horton out of Norman High School, so he's, he's right here homegrown for Oklahoma fans. But he had Tommy John surgery this time a little over a year ago, so he's kind of just now truly rounding back into full health, full form. And last night, what did he do again? He had a career-high 11 strikeouts and threw a career-high 100 pitches on the game's biggest biggest stage. So he's the first OU pitcher with double-digit Ks in the College World Series since Mark Redman in 1994, which, oh, by the way, OU won that men's College World Series. So history appears to be on the side of the Sooners, right? It feels that way, yeah. You know, you knock on wood a little bit if you're an OU supporter that you get two out in front over your skis that they're about to go win this national championship. But for the third time in program history, OU's won its first two games at the College World Series. And the other two times that happened, well, Oklahoma went on to win the national championship in both 1951 and 1994. So from that perspective, yes, the tea leaves look positive. Chatting with Josh Helmer from the Locked On Sooners podcast. Now let's go back to Friday. You know, the the first game in Omaha, Oklahoma started out scoring a run early, and then next thing you know, it's 8 nothing. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, they just hit A&M with an offensive barrage. Uh, when the when the day's totally done, you're talking about you're talking about 11 hits, 13 RBIs. Oklahoma's been a team, guys, that really is known for stealing bases. So they had something like 45 stolen bases all of last season, and this 2022 team surpassed that mark in, I want to say, its 16th game this year. And now after the win over Notre Dame, they got 145 stolen bags this season. But because of how well they hit it against Texas A&M, they, they really didn't have to run, and they didn't get a stolen base against Texas A&M in that uh, College World Series opening win. We saw OU try to get out on the base pads a little bit more last night versus Notre Dame, but really the first game, yeah, was about getting a quality start, though it doesn't go down that way, at least in the record books, versus A&M from Jake Bennett. You got six innings pitched, four runs, four earned runs, but really on, on this stage with the way OU's been swinging the bats, Right now, it feels like if they can keep opponents to three runs, four runs in a, a starting role, that's probably going to be okay. Now, you know, and, and talking about that game, that A&M game, Oklahoma was able to do that against one of A&M's better pitchers in Nathan Detmer. One thing that sticks out to me, Josh, when I'm looking at this team is the ages and, and the youth. I mean, there's a lot of redshirt juniors, but I mean, only two seniors on this team, and a lot of freshmen making big contributions early. How, how many guys are, is Oklahoma looking at bringing back from this team next year? Quite a few. Quite a few. Now, obviously, Kate Horton, though he's a redshirt freshman, he uh, actually, because of the way they've tweaked some of the Major League Baseball draft rules, technically he, he could go. He could be drafted. Uh, very, very in short order here for Oklahoma. Peyton Graham really high draft pick we think jimmy crooks could be in that category as well but just about everybody else when you think about wallace clark and jackson nicholas and spikerman has been huge for oklahoma all of these young guys they're going to be back for the sooners so 
you, you get caught up and you live in the moment, but the future that Skip Johnson is building in Norman after not being on this stage, dating all the way back to 2010, it's been that long before this uh, Men's College World Series, before the, the most recent time that OU's played in it. Now all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, well, he's got something nice building here in Norman. Jackson Nicholas has had such a great year, hitting 289 with 56 hits, 9 doubles, 10 homers, 30 RBIs. To get numbers like that from a true freshman on on your roster, I mean, that's huge, right? Oh, it's gigantic. And they've needed those types of contributions from their young guys. You know, lost sort of in translation with Oklahoma beating Notre Dame is they actually lost one of their key pieces for the remainder of the season in Brett Squires. He was hit by a pitch, and uh, it, it fractured his hand. So he's done for the rest of this College World Series. But because they've seen what they've saw so far from the Wallace Clarks, from the Jackson Nicholases of the world, from a Blake Robertson, Oklahoma feels like they're okay right now, that they still have enough pieces to go win this national championship. So, you know, looking at looking at the bracket – if I'm understanding it correctly, Oklahoma will next face the winner of A&M and Notre Dame. That's correct. Yeah, 1 p.m. on Wednesday, Central Standard Time. Whoever wins that ball game between Notre Dame and A&M, both of which Oklahoma's already beaten in Omaha. So take from that whatever you you want to take from it, whether or not that's good or bad. That's who would be on deck. Now, out of either one of those, obviously, like you mentioned, you've already played both of them and beaten both of them. Which matchup plays better for the Sooners, in your opinion? I don't know. Everybody's so good when you get to this stage. Notre Dame, we we said it right off the top, right, that maybe Oklahoma cooled the fire of a team that was the hottest story in college baseball coming into this College World Series. A&M, they hadn't lost in the postseason before going to Omaha. So I don't know that there's necessarily a right answer. I'll give you Notre Dame just because I think top to bottom, A&M is a little bit more talented, but I don't know that you just etch that in stone and treat it as fact. Chatting with Josh Helmer. Now, Josh, are, are you in Omaha? I'm not, no. Uh, not yet, anyways. Maybe this weekend, if, if things go according to plan on Wednesday – there might just be a trip up north in store for myself. Right. I mean, I mean, you might have to, right? Yes. Might might be sort of ordered by Sooner Law to get up there and hopefully see them win a national championship. Yeah. No. No. No doubt about it. Looking, you know, and, and I kind of hinted on this earlier, but looking to the future. I mean, you, you talked about the freshman with Jackson Nicholas and, and a bunch of others. Th- this team that that Skip Johnson has. I mean, you could be back in Omaha as early as next year with, with, with the youth and talent that this group has. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, Kendall Pettis is somebody that is a redshirt sophomore that found himself a little power surge throughout this postseason. I think he had two home runs all year, then all of a sudden in this, which would typify, right, a team that goes on to play well in Omaha or – get to Omaha and root there or to, you know, win a national championship, whatever it winds up being the final story. Typically you find a couple of players that do things that really are not indicative of maybe how the season has gone so far for that player. And Kendall Pettis throughout this postseason around has three home runs, but he's somebody again that, yeah, he's a redshirt sophomore. So he's not quite as young as some of these names we've mentioned previously, but 
again, he's somebody that would be back and has shown signs throughout this postseason that he's only going to get better. The other thing I would throw your direction is this, and Oklahoma as a baseball program, because of what Sooner softball has become around here, winning five national championships out of the last nine, you know, it's not to be disrespectful to OU baseball, but just kind of sharing the facts as I see them, you know, working on the radio down here in Norman and Oklahoma City, a lot of the interest in this market was in Sooner softball. And this Oklahoma postseason run has totally flipped that narrative. Everybody's dialed into what's going on with OU baseball, but it's not just OU fans that pick up on that, right? In this day and age where we see more and more top players that kind of kind of see bright, shiny things and say, huh, I wonder if my future would be better served somewhere else. I just think for anybody that is in Omaha right now and is playing well, and specifically for Skip Johnson that's trying to build this thing for the future, you know, you think about the transfer portal. As soon as whenever this season goes final, now all of a sudden Oklahoma is an attractive destination in the transfer portal when really as recent as maybe two months ago, I don't know if you could have said that about OU baseball. Josh Helmer from the Locked On Sooners podcast joining me. Yeah, man, that was going to really be my last question, you know, with the success that OU softball has had over the years for for baseball to kind of come up and match that success this season. The the buzz around Norman has been incredible. Yeah, no, it's it's unlike any year really in recent memory and OU by the way is trying to become there's been a couple that got close uh ucla recently florida within the last however many years got within striking distance of winning both softball and baseball national championships in the same year it's never been done though they each got close didn't quite get the job done so OU would be the first school to ever win both the women's college world series and the men's college world series in the same season if if OU, well, at this point, wins three more games. So it's been a fun time around Norman. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that that's incredible if you, if you could pull off both national titles in one season. Josh Helmer, before you run, man, tell, tell our listeners where they can find your stuff. Well, you've mentioned it, Locked On Sooners. If you search that, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We love uh, interacting with everybody on the YouTube side of things. You can find myself and John Williams over there and then – on the radio side, I'm, I'm on with Chris Plank 9 to noon, Monday through Friday on KREF, which is uh, the ref in Oklahoma City. And, Norman, you can just search KREF and uh, find us if uh, there happens to be some Sooner fans out there listening. Fantastic. Josh Helmer, really appreciate you taking the time and enjoy following the Sooners throughout Omaha. We'll talk to you again, my friend. Hey, anytime. Appreciate it. Have a good one. There he goes, Josh Helmer from Locked on Sooners. Score update from Omaha. Auburn has eliminated Stanford 6-2. to And our buddy Ben Upton posted on Twitter two hours ago, Stanford had jumped out to an early 2-0 lead, and it was 2-0 Stanford through 5. And he posted on Twitter, he said, Auburn is losing on purpose, and I want an investigation. And then he retweeted it. Hashtag Ben Upton Jinx wins every time. <laughs> Apparently, according to James Mesh, I'm the kiss of death, so I understand where he's coming from. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you will have the opportunity to win awesome prizes like a $150 gift certificate 
to Mr. Lester Steakhouse in Cyprus by you, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Only way to score these great prizes is by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse. It's free and simple, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. We'll take a time out, and when we return, we'll wrap up our number one, get you set for our number two. Here on your Monday, you're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field, going back on it's Gordon, he'll look up at the goner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, got a couple minutes before we end our number one. Just to recap the hour that we have had, Matt Fitzpatrick wins the U.S. Open on a devastatingly missed putt by Will Zalatoris. You have the College World Series really going Oklahoma's favor right now. Uh, Stanley Cup Finals Game 3 tonight. The Avs have a 2-0 lead, looking to make it 3-0. Now, here's, here's where it gets interesting. Because if I understand no NHL team has come down from 3-0 to win a Stanley Cup. Now they have come back from down 3-0 to win a playoff series. But I don't believe that anybody has come back in the Stanley Cup final from 3-0. So, with history on their side, if the Avs win tonight in Tampa, things could get very very interesting. James, I, I know you're not a big hockey guy, but I'm going to ask you for a prediction. Give me one. Who you got? Tampa's got to play desperate. They got to play. Well, with their, they got to play with their lives on the line. Yeah, I mean, you, you you have to, right? And especially after getting crushed by seven. And now you're at home. Yeah, but here's the here's the real question. They have won the last two Stanley Cups. So if they get embarrassed, obviously that's not great. However, you've played in the last three Stanley Cup finals and you won two out of three. Is that really like a huge disappointment? It's not the worst. I mean, it's obviously disappointing to come this close and lose. Like, I get that. Yeah, there's always but, that standard. But it, if you're going to lose, it feels like you got to put in more of a fight. You got to win at least two games and push it to six if you're going to lose, because you don't want to get swept or have a gentleman sweep, because then that's pretty much no comp. Right. Well, here's the other thing that a lot of people are talking about. We talked about it as a possible issue, but it seems to be playing in their favor that the Avs had nine days to rest for this series. They're healthy. They're energetic. 
they they look like a brand new team, and and the Lightning kind of look like they're running out of gas. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with it. Almost feel, feels like with the Celtics and the Warriors. Yep, Warriors had a little bit more time throughout the playoffs to have rest, and and you you saw it later in the series. The Celtics just looked gassed. It looked like the inexperience, the the nonstop. There was. There was no rest for him. It just kind of felt like it, it took a toll on him toward yep. the end. No, and they no, just spiraled out of control. No doubt about it. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with Rachel Toss talking to us about the Stanley Cup Finals between the Avs and the Lightning Game 3 once again tonight in Tampa. You're listening to the game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our number two of two. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Now, I know we don't get to talk hockey a whole lot here in Southwest Louisiana, but with the Stanley Cup Finals going on, we figured, why not find us an expert? We found an expert on the Colorado Avalanche and... To put icing on the cake, she's an LSU grad. She is a reporter and producer for the Avalanche, Miss Rachel Toss. Rachel, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing extremely well, very excited. And you said to put the icing on the top. I can put a cherry on top for you. Um, my family is from Cecilia. So I know a lot of these listeners in the Lafayette area know what that is. A lot of times I have to explain where Cecilia, Louisiana is to a lot of people. But uh went to Cecilia High School and for my freshman year. And, uh yeah, excited to be covering hockey and covering the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup Final. So she was a Bulldog and a Tiger, and now she's, <laughs> and now she's working in the NHL. Yeah, it's, uh you know, I don't really understand it either, but here we are. <laughs> So let's dive into this. You know, the the Avs have had such a great season. I mean, 56 and 19 in the regular season and then really kind of had their way throughout the playoffs. And and now you get to the Stanley Cup final against the two-time defending champs and through two games you've done pretty much whatever you wanted to do. Yeah. I I would say that. They've done basically everything they wanted to do. Uh, But the thing is, with hockey, and especially with it being a series, anything can happen, and that's why the Stanley Cup trophy is the hardest trophy in all of professional sports to win, because it can go either way. So very excited, anxious to see what's going to happen on the road tonight as they play their first game of the series in Tampa on the road. However, the Avs have yet to lose a game on the road in the entire postseason. So, you know... That's... Feel pretty good about it. I'd be shocked. Look, I'd be shocked if Tampa doesn't get at least one win out of this series, especially with a guy like Andre Vasilevsky and Net. Yeah, he hasn't played um, his best <laughs> for for many people. I think, especially in Tampa, they're saying it's very uncharacteristic of him. Um, and I think at some point we are going to see Vasilevsky's best, and that could happen here tonight in Game Three or potentially Game Four on Wednesday. Chatting with Rachel Toss here 
on Crunch Time with Miguez and, Miguez and Mesh. You know, you talked about it. Andre Vasilevsky has been one of the top goalies in the league over the last couple of years. But then, you know, you look on the other side for the Avs, Darcy Kemper. What a, what a year yeah. he's had. I mean, you've got two Vesna guys battling out here in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, and what a great pickup by the Colorado Avalanche to grab Darcy Kemper from the Arizona Coyotes entering this season. So he's been a great addition to the Avs. And, you know, having that goalie depth has been great, too. They have Pavel Francis as their backup goalie, who has proven time and time again that he is a stellar backup goaltender. So that goalie tandem has been wonderful for the Avs so far this season, but I'm sure we'll see Darcy Kemper in that tonight in Tampa. Here's a guy that I want to talk about. His name is Kale McCarr. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. let's let's chat Kale McCarr. Go ahead. <laughs> you see, I I loved this kid when when he came into the NHL. I, I I've been a hockey guy my whole life, which I know is an anomaly in Southwest Louisiana, but <laughs> I I really liked him coming out of Calgary and into the league in 2017, and just the way that he has been able to basically prove me right is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, 28 goals from a defenseman. He scored a shorthanded goal Saturday night, and it was only the second time in team history that a defenseman scored a shorthanded goal in the playoffs. I mean, he's just breaking he's, record after record. It's unreal. He's he's the next Bobby Orr, right? Like, I mean, time and time again throughout the entire regular season, extending into the playoffs, and now the final that he is Bobby Orr. I mean, in 16 games played in the postseason, seven goals, 17 assists to amass 24 points by a defenseman who just entered the league in 2018-2019. So, and that was in the in the playoffs, I should say. So he was a rookie in 2019-2020. Uh, what we've seen number eight do on the ice is spectacular. The way he can move the puck and the way that he can bring out his speed is incredible, especially as a defenseman. And I think that's what makes the abs so interesting and fun and exciting to watch is they have defensemen like Eric Johnson who are these veteran defensemen. They're tall guys. They know their role to be on defense primarily, but then you bring in guys like Devon Taves and Kel McCarr on that defensive pairing who play a lot faster, right, with more speed, and they take a lot more shots. And so that's kind of the new age of hockey that we're seeing are guys that are faster and these offensive defensemen who are not afraid to get up in the rush and take those shots. And Kale McCarr has absolutely been leading the way. He's a stellar guy, and for what it's worth, he's great off the ice as well. A big part of my role is to turn these community features, community relations stories, what the guys do in our community, and Kale's one of those guys. Um, he's he's really great, and I'm so happy for him every time he scores a goal because I, he deserves it. And I don't know if anyone caught his post game interview with Emily Kaplan on ESPN following Game Two, but you know after the huge performance of putting up a million goals in Game Two of the Stanley Cup Final, Emily Kaplan asked if he was going to go celebrate at all. Short nope. answer, no, and then walks away. Yeah. And that's the type of mentality that this kid has because the job's not done yet. Yeah, they're up two zero and they're coming off and then incredible performance but it's not done yet and again this is a, a series of seven and they saw that happen um was a lot yeah last year in the playoffs they were up on the vegas golden knights and vegas stormed back and took it away from them so you have to keep your gas your foot on the gas pedal in these situations before it's done chatting with rachel toss here on crunch time with miguez and mesh kale mccarr with 24 points to lead the Avs so far this postseason, Miko Ranton and close behind him with 22. But the the point that I want to make here is the Avs have been so good this year that the two names you expected to hear a lot of, Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog, mm-hmm. you're really yep. not. 
Right, right. Well, we've seen some from Gabriel Landeskog, right, because he is always there at the right time. He's always there for those redirects and the tip-ins right in front of the net to get the goals whenever he needs to. And on top of that, he's just a good captain. So, you know, we don't see what's being said in the locker room in between periods, but I can promise you that Gabe Landeskog is definitely taking the lead on those conversations and those pump-up speeches, if you will. Now, Nathan McKinnon not scoring yet, honestly, it – just give him time. Give him time to warm up because it's going to happen. I was actually texting uh, with my stepfather this morning who's currently in Gonzales, Louisiana, talking about tonight's game and like what bets to place. And I'm not advising betting one way or the other, but I said if I were to place a bet, I would probably bet on Nathan McKinnon um, at least having an appoint this game, if not scoring in this game, because he's had enough looks at Tampa Bay, so I'd imagine he understands their defense and their offense enough for that matter to be able to put one in the back of the net tonight. Um, he's still one of the best players in the National Hockey League and in the world, and even though he's not maybe contributing on the score sheet this round like we might have imagined, just think about what else he did throughout the entire regular season and the playoffs to get here. Um, the way that he skates, <laughs> he's so stinking fast, and that's what encourages everyone else on the team to get up to his level and to be fast. That's the biggest thing with this Colorado Avalanche team is they're young, they're eager, and most importantly, they're very, very fast. And you can dive deep into why Nathan McKinnon is so successful. He has that championship mentality, but he's very serious about his diet. I mean, the guy like only eats baked chicken, sweet potatoes, and broccoli for every meal. And that type of mentality and um, strictness on not only his diet, but his training has rubbed off on everyone else in the locker room. And that's why they're so fast. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely critical to to the world of sports, especially with a sport like in the NHL. Talk to me about Andre Burakovsky. What's the latest on, on his injury? Will he be available for the Avs tonight? Yeah, it's really a bummer that this is coming down, um, that we have, have to have this conversation about Burakovsky. It felt like he was just heating up. We've talked all throughout the regular season and into the playoffs about him being this streaky scorer. So he had the huge overtime winner in Game 1, comes out in Game 2, connects with Val Machushkin again for another goal. So hate to see that this is a conversation that's being had. Uh, I do know that he did travel to Tampa and that Jared Bednar was asked about it this morning, and it sounds like Andre Burakovsky and Nazem Kadri, for that matter, are day-to-day. That's what Coach Bednar said this morning. He didn't say if they were out for tonight, but it really doesn't seem like they'll play. Of course, this time of year, Coach Bednar is really keeping his cards closed. He's not really, you know, giving away lines or starting lineup or even starting goaltender, for that matter. Um, But with Berkey making the trip, that means that potentially they're hopeful for him to play Wednesday if he's not on the ice tonight. Uh, would be a huge blow to the Avs if they lost him just because he really was heating up and that line with Val Nachushkin, the choo-choo train, has been fantastic for the Avs. Um, it would be a big blow, but, you know, they have depth, and that's what's been so great to watch the Avs this season is it's that next man up mentality, which is so cliche, but that's really just how they've Live their life this postseason. One guy goes down, another one can step up. You know, they lost Sam Gerrard uh, against, gosh, it seems like attorneys ago. Was that the St. Louis series when they lost Sam Gerrard, the defenseman? And Bo Byram stepped up big time, and that's been a great opportunity for that young defenseman to step up, and he's filled that void very well. Rachel Toss of the Colorado Avalanche joining us. I've got two more for you, and one is about Jared Bednar, you know, his sixth year at the helm of the Avs. He's brought them... This is their fifth playoff appearance under Bednar. And the previous four times, the farthest they've gotten is the second round. Three straight years, they they Mm -hmm. fell out in the second round of the playoffs. 
you know, obviously you being around the team, what does it what does it mean for this organization, for this city, and especially for Jared Bednar to finally get over that hump and to get into the Stanley Cup final? Oh, I think it means the world. And, you know, definitely hats off to Coach Bednar, but hats off to General Manager Joe Sackick as well, right? That's the thing with professional sports. A lot of it goes to the management. And Joe has been phenomenal in his trades, his, you know, late trade acquisitions. And um, they've really stepped up in a big way. Darren Helm and the likes, Nicholas Obey-Cubell, all of those guys. So, uh, but for Jerry Bednar, I know, I know it would be huge for him, um, very deserving. And as far as what it means for the city of Denver, I mean, it's massive, right? Like they have two Stanley Cups, 1996 and 2001, to bring another championship to to the city would be incredible for so many reasons. Uh, I think what I would be most excited about, aside from the fact that I work for a team that's winning a championship, <laughs> is that it would draw attention to the sport. So a big initiative for the Colorado Avalanche is to grow the sport of hockey throughout the state of Colorado. Um, they set up camps and free clinics all the time for kids around the state just to introduce them to the sport because you know in Louisiana there's no ice time but in Denver it's still hard to get ice time as well and it's a very expensive sport for kids to start playing so um, at times I think it's easier for parents to just give their kids a basketball potentially a baseball and just say here go play that sport but if you have a team in your city winning the Stanley Cup it just sparks more conversation, more brand awareness about the Colorado Avalanche and just the sport of hockey in general to help spread that awareness of the sport of the game around the state. And, hey, hopefully reaching to other states like Louisiana. You know, I grew up playing softball and volleyball in Louisiana. I'm a big football, you know, person. And that's what I I studied for my first couple of years in my career. And here I am covering hockey. And if I had it my way, I would never not work in hockey. It's a fabulous sport. And uh, anything we can do to help grow the game, I'm all about it. Finally, somebody from Louisiana that agrees with me that <laughs> hockey is incredible. It's incredible. Look, I've brought a couple of friends in that, you know, went to LSU. We went to every single football game on Saturdays, right? Like my friends who played softball with me, played basketball, all those things, they'll come to games. And I don't even prompt them to say this. They're like, hockey is awesome. This is so much better than football. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's apples to oranges at the end of the day. Don't get me wrong. I still miss covering football at times, but it's an incredible sport. My mom came to a game in 2019. She's not even a sports person. And she was like, wow, this is truly incredible. It's just such a uh, connective environment, if that makes any right. sense. She was like, everyone's paying attention to the game. Nobody's on their phone. Nobody's talking. Everyone's watching the game when action is happening. And that's what I love about hockey. Um, and you just take that, multiply it by 10 for the Stanley Cup playoffs. And now in the final round, it's just so intense and so stinking fun. I've got one more question, and I'll keep it brief because I know you got to go get ready for the watch party. <laughs> you, you talked about the connected environment. Walk yes. me through all the small things. Ah, yes, yes. You know, I'm still trying to figure out when it started. I needed to ask someone about that recently because I want to say it started in 2019. My first season with the team was the 2019-2020 season when I moved here. And I'm pretty sure it started that season. But it truly was our in-house DJ, uh, DJ Triple T, Turney. He played alternative music just out of whistle, and fans just caught on to it. So no one was prompted, and it was just one of those things where he played all the small things, just like he would play any other song, and he's a fabulous DJ and just knows what to play at the right time. He played the song, and then before you know it, as the song would stop playing, when play on the ice was happening, of course, he stopped the live music, fans would just continue to sing. 
and they would just sing all the lyrics. It was like really weird. And then we'd play it again. It's like, oh, more fans are singing it this time. And then it was just a snowball effect of the more we'd play it, the more fans would sing along. And here we are in the Stanley Cup final, and it's a whole thing. And they got, I think it was the lead singer of Blink-182, like a cameo uh, of him saying, hey, DJ Triple T, like, let's play the small, all the small things. And that really got the crowd going for game two. It was that's, really awesome. That's awesome. Rachel Toss yeah. of Altitude TV and the Colorado Avalanche joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Rachel, I really appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy Game 3 and Game 4 tonight. Enjoy the watch parties, and hopefully you know, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I hope this inspired someone out there in Louisiana to just give hockey a shot, give it a try, watch it on TV, but you won't know the game until you come to it live. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. There she goes, Rachel Toss. She's not wrong. An NHL hockey game in person is a must-see. I have been to two, and it is absolutely fantastic. James, let's take a timeout right here, and when we return to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, we'll talk some Astros as well as some Cajuns and Tigers news to get to. Here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 20th, 1980. Panamanian boxer Roberto Duran takes the WBC welterweight title from Sugar Ray Leonard at Olympic Stadium in Montreal by unanimous points decision. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Really appreciate Rachel Toss for joining us in that last segment. God, I love talking hockey, especially with somebody that knows more about it than I do. Like, if they know the insides and outs of a team like she does, man, that's nothing better. Anyways, the Houston Astros, pretty good weekend at home dominating win on Friday 13 to 3 as they took down the Chicago White Sox. However, and and I hate this. I hate that we're discussing this. Kevin Foote's philosophy of paying the piper came to fruition this weekend. The Astros scored 13 Friday, can't get a single run on Saturday. They lost 7 to nothing on Saturday before beating the White Sox 4-3 to yesterday. The story that is interesting with this one, J.J. Matichevic was brought up from Sugarland when Jeremy Pena got hurt. He debuted last night and had his first major league hit. However, that first major league hit was a home run. How crazy is that? that your first major league hit is also your first major league home run. Here is JJ on his thoughts of his first home run in the big leagues. I did. I knew, I knew it was gone. 
and then uh, just when I was riding the bases, you know, I just took it all in. I wasn't really thinking anything, but I looked up and, you know, I see all the fans and stuff. I really took it in and it was a special moment. What was that like circling the bases? Was it a blur? Was it a blur? It was a blur. But uh, once I hit second, you know, I knew what happened. And I uh, looked, just looked up, you know, I just looked up and took it all in, saw the fans and, you know, it was, it was special. The Astros once again winning 4-3 to three behind a two-run shot by Mauricio Dubon and the solo shot from J.J. Matajevic. So a 16-year-old in the crowd caught the home run ball. And as tradition in the game of baseball, your first big league hit and your first big league home run, the ball is tossed into the dugout and held for you and it goes on your trophy case, right? Well, the 16-year-old that made the catch said, well, I'd like to keep the ball, so if you really want it from me, I want something in return. And we have, a, we have an audio clip from the young man on, uh, on how that went down. Amazing. I, I didn't even know until one of my buddies texted me and said, JD is signing your jersey on live TV right now. And I flipped out. It was amazing. The experience was incredible. It was when they when they came about to me. I, I I didn't even believe it. I saw the jersey and I was just mine just went blank and I, I I'm just loving life right now. It was really incredible. That's what you wanted initially, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Because I'm a big pitcher. I love fishing. And JV, one of my my model. I look up to him every single day. I do his band routine, his plyos, whatever he does. I do. I love that guy so much. What do you plan to do with that jersey? I'm gonna frame it, put it up in my room, and keep it forever. Never selling it, never doing anything with it. Stay in my room. If you could speak to Justin right now, what would you tell him? I would say, thank you so much, sir. You're my role model, and I'm going to be in your position one day. I promise. Lofty words from the 16-year-old. So for the home run ball, he negotiated. The the 16-year-old negotiated a package that includes six tickets to a game, six batting practice passes, a baseball signed by Jose Altuve, and apparently, from what I can understand, that quite that wasn't quite enough. So then he asked for a jersey signed by Verlander, and that made it happen. They asked Matajevic or Matashevic about the negotiations, and he said, "I was planning on giving the kid a signed bat because that's all I would have wanted." But man, he's one of the best negotiators I've ever seen. I mean, the kid had to hire Scott Boris as his agent, right? I mean, dude, that's so great. This this kid's insane. That's legendary. And then, not only does he negotiate that crazy deal, he sits there and tells Brian McTaggart that he's going to be in Verlander's shoes one day? Dude. That that 16-year-old's living large. He's living real large. The Astros have a rather tough week coming up as they will play the New York Mets tomorrow before going to New York for a four-game set with the New York Yankees. First pitch tomorrow is at 7-10, and you can hear it right here on the game. Speaking of the game, Wednesday, not tomorrow, day after. It is the game's birthday, and that means that this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Join us above the Wild Wings on Ambassador Wednesday night from 4 to 9 for delicious wings and amazing door prizes. James, I mean amazing door prizes. They, they're, they're really good. Station swag, Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV from AVI, car washes from The Wash from Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, a round of golf with a cart at Cane Row Golf Course, a $150 gift card to Mosley and Hollard Men's Clothing, and much more. So you have the opportunity to come get free food and a chance to win any of those prizes. And then on top of that, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting our show in the building. So come join us at B-Dubs Wednesday from 4 to 9 for the game's 10th birthday bash. Take a time out when we return. We'll give you even more of a conversation from Omaha as we sit down with Travis Brown from Texas A&M to discuss the Aggies and their fate and their upcoming run in Omaha. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just wash the hair. You know, I work on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Look. We've made the joke a hundred times on this show, but I will stand on this hill whether I'm alone or not. I have better hair than James Mesh. Stu. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. I mean, just look at it. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. We told you that we would bring you some more college baseball talk. This time we're going to focus on the Aggies of Texas A&M. Travis Brown joins us. He is a writer and reporter for Texas A&M. Travis, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. So let's look at A&M. You know, 5-0 and going into Omaha, including a win over you know a, a team pretty local to us and the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. And then... You know, you, you, for lack of better words, I mean, the Aggies ran in, into a brick wall that is the red-hot Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, I, I think that Oklahoma is the hottest team that came into the College World Series, as evident by how quickly they were able to blow through uh, A&M and Notre Dame. Uh, but, but the Aggies definitely brought their own baggage into that game that they never, hasn't, haven't really gotten tested that much in, in the, the regionals and the super regionals. And that is the fact that they have had uh, middle middle range mediocre starting pitching, uh, and that they they've been prone to mistakes, prone to errors. It's something that did kind of come out in um, that the game against Lafayette, as I think Lafayette was about the, the team that pushed them the hardest um, and made them force them to make some plays with that high tempo run happy uh, offense that that Matt Deggs likes to run. Uh, Oklahoma is is. The, the, the Big 12 version of that a little bit. They're not scared to lay down a bump. They're not scared to run around uh, the way that their players uh, uh, said it was causing chaos. And uh, I think they were able to do that well against the Aggies. And that's something that they just aren't really built to handle. That's not part of their identity. So uh, I, I think that you could definitely draw some correlations between that the Louisiana game 
against A&M and, and what Oklahoma was able to do to them uh, in that opener. Now, looking in, into their, their matchups so far in Omaha, the 13-8 loss to Oklahoma, you, you fell behind early but showed a lot of fight later in the game to kind of make it a game. And then, you know, on Sunday and yesterday in the elimination games, you handled your in-state rival in Texas 10-2. to Now you're going to play a Notre Dame team tomorrow that, you know, you're looking at a elimination game but you got two teams that, that really came into Omaha on high notes. Yeah, I, I think that playing Notre Dame instead of having to play Oklahoma again for all the reasons that I just said was a, was a better matchup for A&M, even though both are very good teams. Uh, Notre Dame probably has the best, the, the deepest pitching staff of any of the teams, uh, maybe in the College World Series, definitely in the, the bracket one uh, that they're in. And so... Um, it's going to be interesting to see that, that pitching depth, that, that third starting pitcher um, that you're going to get to and, and maybe some of the, the extended bullpen that you're going to get to now in this portion of the tournament, uh, if, that definitely, if that gives Notre Dame uh, a little bit of an edge over the Aggies who don't necessarily have that pitching depth. But as was proven uh, in the game against Texas, A&M can swing with anybody in the country and there really isn't a, a deficit that they don't feel like they can overcome, uh, case in point, the second game of the South Carolina uh, series earlier this year where they came back from a 9 nothing deficit and then turned around and, and came back again in the same game to, to win it in a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth. And so um, I, I think that if A&M can jump out early uh, and, and get an early lead, Notre Dame isn't as potent of an offense and uh, aren't necessarily built to the same kind of comeback that Texas A&M is. Uh, so might actually help them that they're the visiting team in that, in that game. Travis Brown, a Texas A&M beat reporter, joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. You know, you talked about A&M's high-powered offense. Jack Moss, Austin Boast, Dylan Rock are three names that, that really come to mind with, with support guys being Brett Minich, Troy Clouch, and, and Cole Kaler. You know, up and down, Jim Schlossnagels has, has himself a, a great batting lineup. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does. And, and about half the people you mentioned, if not more, in that group are transfers that they brought in this year um, that, that really revitalized and revamped this lineup. I, I think actually the, the, the guy who might be the postseason MVP for them, uh, who, who has come on the, the hottest in the NCAA tournament, is center fielder Jordan Thompson. He has uh, 11 of his, I want to say, 31 total RBIs this season have come during the NCAA tournament. He has a pair of three-run home runs. He hit one in the first game against Oklahoma. hit one against Louisville. That helped power them through that Super Regional. And so um, he, he has been as hot as anybody as of late, especially when it comes in those key situations, getting the timely hit. Uh, that's kind of been his thing. Jack Moss is hitting over 500 uh, through the NCAA tournament, has absolutely just been a hit machine uh, as things have gone. And Troy Clanch. Uh, I think they, it's, it's almost a, a beaten cliche, but they call him Clutch Clanch because he uh, he has been known to get the big report uh, when needed, and, and that's what uh, they needed in that second game of the Super Regional against uh, Louisville. So, um, yeah, there, there is uh, – I think the most impressive part about it is kind of what I mentioned, that there never has seemed to be an instance when they are – down and out in, uh, of, a, of a game, they always seem to think that those big hits are going to come. I mean, case in point, Oklahoma, uh, that first game, 
they're already down 11 to nothing and are able to, to fight back and score eight runs uh, against Oklahoma and at least get it kind of within striking distance. So uh, it is a high-powered offense, and a lot of people, Coach Schlossigland included, said you, you, you can't swing your way to Omaha. Well, they, that's exactly what they're able to do this year. Winner tomorrow between the Aggies and the Irish will play Oklahoma again on Wednesday. What lessons do you think A&M learned in that first game with Oklahoma that if they do beat Notre Dame tomorrow, they could they could learn before before Wednesday's game against OU? They have to be clean in the in, in the fielding. You know, they had an error and a uh, a, a hit batter situation that that forced. Um, uh, that, that forced a run in. Uh, they, they have to. They, they come into the, the tournament as the with the worst fielding percentage of any of the eight teams in, in the College World Series. They've got to clean that up a little bit, and they can't issue free passes against Oklahoma because they're a team that likes to hit and run, likes to steal bases, likes to move, cause chaos. Again, very similar to what Louisiana does, and they uh, that A and M just doesn't handle that well. So you can't issue free passes. You got to keep them off the bases, uh, and the fielding can't make uh, easy mistakes that give free bases in the same instance, um, or else they'll find themselves in the same situation down big early uh, before they've even had time to kind of settle into the game. Travis Brown, the A and M beat reporter, joining us. Travis, I've got one more for you, and it is about head coach Jim Sloshnagel. You know, just grade his year one performance after coming into College Station from TCU? I mean, I think you have to give him an A-plus just from the the uh, the ability to bring in uh, a absolutely all-star staff. Um, I think a lot of credit goes on to the on-the-field things go to, to those guys. Um, Michael Early, the hitting coach, and what he's been able to do to, to revamp a lot of these guys' swings and, and, and get a lot of good um, swings on there. Nate Yeski, who inherited a, a little bit of a depleted pitching staff, uh, and is able to work with some of those guys, and, and they've found some confidence, especially in their secondary pitches, uh, and it's changed the uh, trajectory of some of those guys uh, as the season has gone on. Um, every seemingly every decision that that uh, Jim Schlossnagel has made, maybe save not taking out Joseph Minifee a pitch earlier when they hit, when Oklahoma hit that grand slam. Uh, after a mound visit in that first game, uh, has been gold. Um, you go back and look at the the end of the Super Regional uh, series where he pulls uh, Brad Rudis with a 3-2 count and two outs in the bottom of the eighth, puts uh, Palish in for that last strike, uh, and it worked out even though everyone in the stadium, the hitter, everyone knew Palish's slider was coming. It was one of those what, what Palish called a big boy moment where you know what's coming and it's just going to be if the pitch is better than the swinger, and he did it. Uh, those, those instances stick out as, as every decision he seems to make has, has been good, and you can't, not, you can't say that he's been anything better than, than an A-plus this season. Travis Brown of the Eagle in College Station joining us here on Crunch Time with me, Gaz and Mesh. Travis, before you run, man, tell our listeners where they can find your work. Sure. It's uh, right for the Bryan College Station Eagle newspaper. So you can go to theeagle.com, read any of those stories, or you can follow me on Twitter at Travis underscore L underscore Brown. Travis, really appreciate you taking the time. Enjoy the rest of your time in Omaha, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, friend, my friend. Pre- appreciate it, guys. There he goes, Travis Brown of the Bryan College Station. Eagle, James, let's update the poll question. Uh, I just realized we haven't done that all show.
Um, what is the strongest position group for the New Orleans Saints? Is it wide receiver? Is it defensive back? Is it defensive line? Or is it other? So far, 59% say DBs. 30% say the wide receivers. 11% say defensive line. And we've got two comments. One from Ton. Wide receiver and DB are about even in my book. Both are going to be scary this year. I agree wholeheartedly. Steve Flint, our, our good friend Steve Flint, says, obviously it's the cheerleaders. They look like the best group wearing black and gold to me. Well, Steve, you're not wrong. But we'll, we'll just leave it at that. You're not wrong. No comment. Yeah, no, no, no comment. Um, James, what's your what's your take on this? I, I was leaning towards defensive line because, I mean, you got Cam. You got Davenport when he's healthy. You got Peyton, which I feel like Peyton, he could have a he could have he could have a breakout year. So you're telling me that the defensive line is a stronger position group than arguably the best secondary in the league? You're not letting me finish. I said initially. Okay, sorry. I was and my, I was expl- I was explaining my reasoning why I had them. My apologies. Ahead. And. You underrate Tano Passanio and other edge rushers. But then it feels like with the interior of the defensive line, you really only got Onyemata, and it feels like you kind of rely on Shy Tuttle, and you're going to have to rely on maybe Contavious Street a little too much. Good good pieces, but you don't necessarily want them out there as much as you will have them. You'd rather have another piece, and because of that, I would have to lean more towards defensive back because you got... Honey Badger, you got Lattimore, you got C.D. Deuce, and then you got Paulson Adebo and Alante Taylor and Bradley Roby all fighting for that CB2 spot. And then once you get Marcus May back, it's going to be a hell of a secondary. And until he gets back, you got a you got a solid replacement and guy who's a backup and has been with the Saints for feels like an eternity because all he does is sign one-year contracts in P.J. Williams. Yeah, it's true. It's it's definitely true, um, yeah. I mean, I I think it's, DBs is definitely a good argument to make. I think wide receiver is up there as well. Like Ton said, I think they're just about even. It's it's the best this this organization has ever had. It's it's hard for me to say that this team will win less than eleven games. It's hard for me to say that. And there have to be a lot to go wrong. Yeah, that, that, that's that's what I'm getting at. I, I really see this team being 12-5, and 13-4. I really do. I mean, this might be the best team that the Saints have had since 2018. Because that team should have won a Super Bowl. That, that Nola no-call year... That team should have won a Super Bowl. And watching that Super Bowl made me even more mad about the Nola no-call because the way the Rams showed up in that, I think we'd have beaten the Patriots that year in the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, 13-3? to It was was terrible. I think our offense that year would have beaten the Patriots in that Super Bowl. But obviously hindsight's 20-20. But... 
Uh, I'm really looking forward to this Saints team. I think it's going to be one of the better ones that we have seen in years past. And I- I'm in on my guy, Jameis Winston. I just am. The Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift card to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift card to Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. The only way to score those great prizes is by signing up for the Game Clubhouse. It's free and simple. 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Take a final time out, and when we return, we'll put a bow on today's show and get you set up for tomorrow. Right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A shot to left field, going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And your home for the Houston Astros. Welcome back. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. All right, James. I've got a graphic here that I found on Twitter that I'd like to discuss with you since we've only got about three minutes. NCAA conference favorites from a betting perspective in 2022. Big 10, Ohio State. Big 12, Oklahoma. Pac-12, USC. ACC, Clemson. The SEC, Notre Dame. Conference USA, wait, Alabama. I'm sorry, SEC, Alabama. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Notre <laughs> that Dame. That threw me off. Uh, American, Cincinnati, Cusa, UTSA, the Mountain West, Fresno State, oh, the MAC, Toledo, the Sun Belt, Coastal, eh. App. Eh. It is the it is the Cajuns. It is the Louisiana Rangers. Oh, Cajuns. look at them the defending Sunbelt Conference champions, currently listed as the betting favorite to repeat as champions in the Sunbelt. First-year head coach Mike Desremo, pretty tall task ahead of him, trying to trying to repeat last season and keep the nation's longest active win streak alive. Only one team in the nation currently holds a 13-game win streak. And that is the Louisiana Rage of Cajuns. They will open their season September 3rd at home against southeastern Louisiana. I want to take this opportunity to thank Josh Helmer from the Locked On Sooners podcast for joining us and discussing the Sooners in Omaha. Rachel Toss for that fantastic interview on the Colorado Avalanche. Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle for joining us about AM in Omaha. Tomorrow, To the Moon Tuesdays, we're going to have the Aerial Angels from Michael's Men's Club live in studio and your phone calls on the hotline, 706-0111. Tonight, Game 7 of the NHL Stanley Cup Final between the Avs and Lightning. Avs with a 2-0 lead. They will play at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow, you got the Houston Astros playing the Mets with a 7-10 first pitch. 
For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. We'll see you tomorrow on your Tuesday here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.